All right, let's dive into the ocean of chapter 14. And this chapter, as I said, is called Transcending the Gunas. The first verse, the blessed Lord said, I will declare to you once more that supreme wisdom, higher than any knowledge, in the realization of which all sages have, after death, attained the final perfection. I will declare to you once more. Krishna in his infinite patience says, Let me just tell it to you one more time. Because nothing, if we look at the Gita, of course, we've been exploring it from every possible angle and uh, trying our best to make the wisdom um, fresh and new. But Krishna has been repeating himself over and over and over. No matter what chapter, he, you know, no matter what question Arjuna asks, again and again he brings it, boils it down to some very basic aspects. I will repeat, I will explain to you once more. And that's an important realization for all of us to have. Narayani and I just did a, um, an interview on Radio Mirchi. Uh, and in that one of the questions was, you know, oh, people find meditation so boring because it's, you know, such a repetitive reality, just bad guy for say, again, I'm sitting again, I'm doing the same thing. In fact, people find anything that's repetitive boring, don't they? And we are constantly looking for variety in our lives. But it is through that repetition, really, that perfection comes over and over because we don't get it. Because we don't really understand. I mean, I'm reading these words and I'm hearing Krishna. And tendency is like, oh yeah, he's already said that before. <laughs> I'm looking for where's the next new thing he says. And that's how we consume information, consume anything in this world. I want to skip over anything that I already know. But in truth, we know nothing. For if we did know what Krishna in fact is trying to reveal to us, he says, then you would have attained that final perfection like all sages have. So this is the clue. If you've not yet attained final perfection, you know, don't discount repetition. In fact, invite repetition. Anything you do over and over and over again, not to please the ego, but to break through the ego, that is extremely helpful. That's why it's like you need to be reading the same scriptures over and over again, the same books over and over again. What we would prefer is, how many books have I read? But when Yogananda was in his guru's ashram, Sri Yukteswar would just met, let them read just one or two maximum books. And he said, you don't need anything more than this if you can just get this. And that's another very key aspect to any perfection you are seeking. Get just one thing so deeply that you get perfected in it. And so now Krishna wants to lead us back into the concept of the gunas. To those who attain this wisdom and become established in me are never again reborn. Even when creation itself is re-manifested, nor are they troubled at the time of pralaya. So, of course, he talked about the night and day of Brahma, that, you know, for billions of years, the day of Brahma continues, then the night comes, everything is returned back, which is the prale, everything is returned back into singularity. 
But that doesn't mean that it's over. The drama is not over yet. When the next day of Brahma comes, when re-manifestation happens again, those souls who were in delusion at the night of Brahma, well, they have to go back out because unity cannot be forced upon us. Unity has to be willingly sought. The great Prakriti is my womb in which I plant the animating seed which gives birth to all life. And the image of the womb is like the image of the egg. In itself, it's sterile. And it needs something to seed it with. When I think of Prakriti, we're not talking about, oh, God, you know, this is nature and God's made this entire cosmos and he seeded. In each of us, we're constantly living Prakriti. Any project we do is Prakriti. And a project in itself is just a vessel. But we have to seed that project with our energy, with our power. Then the project has some life, has some reality to it. A relationship is just a vessel. We have to seed it and make something out of it. This is what Krishna is trying to tell us. Prakriti, what I'm giving you in Prakriti is a vessel. I'm giving you a womb. A womb has the potential for life, but in and of itself, it does not contain life yet. We have to seed it with life, just as Krishna, just as Brahman seeded everything. As Yogananda said, every atom is endowed with that individual divine spark. Every atom individually reflects the infinity of God, such that everything that we do in life needs to be a reflection of our consciousness. And what we seed it with, the energy we put in behind it, the consciousness we put into it, that matters, not the thing in and of itself. Prakriti in and of itself, without that divine power, would not have the ability to sustain itself and so forth for our, everything in our lives. So remember that because we're not looking at, you know, sometimes we get lost in this, ah, oh, Prakriti and Brahman and yaha merge karna and vaha karna and is maya se uthna But we can't really take care of the tiny little piece of land that, you know, we've been given. We need to make it work here. We need to figure it out here so that then we can, in the macrocosm of it all, also have that experience. O son of Kunti Arjuna, whatever form issues from any womb, its true womb is great Prakriti, and I am its seed implanting father. Now we're taking it one step further. First is, we've got our own wombs and the vessels and available spaces for us to seed. But then Krishna is saying, but don't get confused as to thinking you are seeding anything because I seed it all. So that's the next step. First, we get our consciousness right. We get our energy right. We first get to get to the point where we say, all right, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it right. I'm going to do it well. Then we get to the realization that I'm not doing anything at all because it's always been Krishna. He's seeded everything. I'm the womb to him just as much as the action that I'm going to perform is the womb to me. And that way we work our way back. In the sense we work our way through ourselves to Krishna. Through everything that we do, we work our way back to Krishna. If we try to get to him just directly, and that's the beauty of Prakriti. It's a tangible way for us to make our way back. Because, let's face it, 
intangibly like practices like meditation, we are not all able to get into it immediately, we are not able to achieve that state of consciousness we have read about, we have heard about, we would very much like to experience, but it is not really happening, we are not directly able to achieve the intangible attributeless energy of spirit. So, we work with the tangible and Prakriti has been given to us to work with and find our way back to spirit through her. O mighty armed Arjuna, what binds the imperishable soul to the body are the three gunas brought into manifestation by Prakriti. Now, in order to create and hold creation, the three gunas had to be kind of thrown, it is like the masala, you know, you can eat bland food, but you need that little masala and the three gunas are the masala that keeps us wanting to eat that food <coughs> over and over again. But what is important to realize is again, what binds the imperishable soul to the body, having some trouble with the light, I am sure it will manifest, let there be light at some point. What binds the imperishable soul to the body are the three gunas. Remember we talked about in the previous chapter, what is the body, what is the soul, what is kshetra, what is kshetragya. And we were talking about the body, not as the physical body, but remember it has, there are three bodies we are working with. We've got physical body, we've got the energy body, we've got the thought body. And if you want to take it a step further, you've got those five koshas, anmay kosh, pranmay kosh, manumay kosh. Oh boy. <laughs> Vigyanmay kosh and anandmay kosh. So, you've got all these koshas which are the layers and the ego which is the soul identified has to break identity with all these layers. It's not just ki a physical body se That's why in meditation also you will see. First, we get into deep stillness. We're able to enter away from the physical body and that's when we tune into the astral body. That's when we're hearing the inner astral sounds. That's when we become aware of the chakras, we became, become aware of the shushumna, we become aware of the nadis, we become aware of the pran. And then you have to go even a step further. And then you have to enter into the shushumna to enter into the causal body. And then from there comes freedom. And this is what the spiritual eye represents over here, are these layers that we are working with. From the physical to the astral to the causal and that five-pointed star in the center is that space to freedom. O sinless one Arjuna, of these gunas the pure quality of sattva bestows health and understanding, but still causes bondage to the body by making man attached to happiness and knowledge. Mm. So, he starts with sattva which is of course the highest of the gunas. In our previous class, remember we did the image and that's why also comes this chant that we did. The image was that spirit is, is the ocean, is just the vast still ocean. Prakriti is the storm, the storm of Maya that whips the ocean up into waves. Now, Sattva is that wave that's just closest to the ocean, just a tiny little bulge. But when that energy, when the storm increases, and Rajas comes in, then it lifts that wave higher until the Tamas is 
that wave that's the farthest away from the ocean because remember the gunas the way we were looking at them are degrees of separation from spirit so sattva is where your separation from spirit there's still separation but it's 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 as close as you can possibly be rajas takes that separation further and tamas takes the separation to the point where you're no longer even aware ki kuch spirit bhi tha you're just like i'm the wave you know and this wave is the best thing that's ever happened and look at this wave it's better than all the other waves haha <laughs> you know and that's the tamas it's the farthest away and sattva is the closest yet there remains forever in the gunas always there is a degree of separation so what krishna is trying to help us understand is in sattva when we get to the stage of sattva it's a stage which naturally bestows health and understanding wisdom becomes much more easy for us to tune into and our ability to cooperate with prakriti becomes so easy that health is a manifestation of that well-being i i when i was tu- tuning into this especially given the times now tamas which is you can say the opposite of sattva will naturally bring the opposite of health and understanding which is disease and ignorance and when we're thinking about what we're going through as a as a world today is perhaps there's too much tamas guna in the world right now and it has no other option but to manifest in our lives there's a lot of ignorance there's of course this very very virulent disease that's affecting everybody and it's not that you have to have tamas for it to affect you particularly but it's a vibration that all of us collectively are surrounded by interesting thing about sattva coming back is that he says it still causes bondage to the body so you've not left bondage away from the body but it brings that bondage by making us attached to happiness and knowledge which is an interesting thing is like um, i want to be attached to happiness i mean what's wrong with being attached to happiness but this is you know in the mahabharat when we first started and we were talking about all these characters and we said this is their psycho spiritual quality this particular quality is that of karna which is he's such an interesting character isn't he he's like this noble i mean he should be the head of the pandavas he should have re- you know be the one to claim the throne but of course because of certain circumstances he has a lowly birth and even after the lowly birth he rises as high as he can but of course he's now in the camp of the kauravas and yogananda said karna represents attachment to happiness happiness here means it's still circumstantial because sattva you can say i have sattva but the problem with the gunas are they relative and they are constantly in motion sattva can just as easily fall back to rajas and that happiness drops and so the individual wants to hold on to that little happiness that he feels in that moment but is not able to live in that happiness irrespective which is the state of bliss and in doing so in trying to grab on to something that as prakriti exists is always in flux that's the beauty of prakriti if you are in sattva but maybe the world's not in sattva right now so it's like uh oh you know 
some inside you things are right, but then outside you it's not right. When outside it's all fine, then inside there's stuff going on. The relativity and movement by itself forces us to have to experience all the gunas. And that is the slight, you can say, veil that covers us. That happiness still is an external experience. Know the quality of rajas as imbued with passion, which activates strong desires and attachments and binds one to the body by the intense expectations it develops in him through his restlessness. Now, rajas is, a, is an interesting quality, really, because in essence, if you were to just think of gunas, rajas doesn't quite constitute as a guna per se, because rajas is a fluid guna. Whereas you've got the two ends, which is the positive and the negative, which is sattva and tamas, and rajas can go either way. And rajas is just that flow of energy. And so essentially what it is, is restlessness. It's this energy, but it doesn't know what to do. It's this energy that either moves towards sattva or it moves towards tamas. However, energy in itself wants to always express itself. As long as there is attachment to the body, anytime you want to express yourself, what will be its handmaiden? Did you pick up the word specifically? That was expectation. <laughs> anytime we think we are expressing ourselves, there's an, always an expectation of then what should come back to us? What should be the fruit of that particular expression? And that's the kind of binding quality of rajas, that it keeps us in restlessness and keeps us forever expecting. So until this is the stage where we are connecting with Prakriti and we are seeding Prakriti, this is not the stage where we've realized that God's seeding Prakriti through us. So at this stage, it's just us. We're working with it. And it's a better stage than, which is Tamas, where Krishna says, O Bharata, Arjuna, know that the darkening quality of Tamas produces spiritual ignorance, which deludes the mind and makes people lazy, heedless, and excessively attracted to subconscious sleep. Now let's stop for a moment and just again tune into the gunas, because... This entire chapter, Krishna has dedicated to the gunas. If we look at themes in the Gita, the gunas holds a very central theme. It comes several times throughout. He touches on it again and again. And then he really gives this entire chapter just to the gunas. And then in the end, he essentially mentions, when you understand the gunas, that's when you will be free. When you understand it, that everything that's happening in this world is a direct result of the gunas, that's when you will finally be able to separate yourself from Prakriti. So it's important for us to tune into the gunas. Now, first and foremost, everything has the gunas as a part of it. Remember, we, I mean, we've talked about this, but when we say everything, we mean absolutely everything. Food have the gunas. Thoughts have gunas. Relationships have the gunas. Individuals have gunas. Your words are empowered by the gunas. Galaxies, Yogananda said, are compelled by the gunas and all of creation is a combination of these three things. And Yogananda said, 
our very variety, what makes us so different is the play of the gunas inside us. The way the gunas play in me is very different the way it plays in Narayani, in the way it plays in somebody else, in the way it plays in you. And that creates all the variety that this universe has. Isn't it amazing? Three things. All it takes is three things. And the combination of how these three things are put together that brings forth how I act, how I speak, even the quality of my voice, the way I look, the way I dress, the way I perceive the world. I mean, it's all dependent on these three gunas. Now, each of us have predominant gunas inside us, but even that changes depending on certain things. In certain cases, a guna will be predominant. In certain other cases, some other guna is predominant. And every moment, the gunas are playing a slightly different role in our lives. Now you've got Sattva and you've got Tamas. And interestingly, Sattva and Tamas actually from the outside can look very similar. Because in Tamas, there is contentment, which is says, I don't want to do anything, whatever is, is. And in Sattva, there is contentment as well. And oftentimes, especially on the spiritual path, Tamas can masquerade itself as Sattva. And that's a very important reality for us to tune into. And the difference between Tamas and Sattva is the state of consciousness. Tamas is subconscious. What does subconscious mean? What are subconscious in us? Habits are subconscious, right? And what is a habit? What is anything that is subconscious is that it takes the least amount of effort on our part. That's why we like to be habitual. Willpower. I, I have to put out no energy, no willpower. And that state of contentment, anytime somebody asks, oh, contentment versus ambition, and you know, they've got all this thing. If there's no energy, it's tamas, it's not contentment. And so what Krishna, these are the qualities Krishna attributes to tamas, which is people are lazy, <laughs> heedless. They heed nobody else's word. They're not interested in change. They don't want to change. They will laugh at everybody. Anybody who's doing anything good, they will berate them. But they will never want to change because they consider themselves to be perfect. And they're excessively attracted to subconscious sleep, which is an interesting thing, which doesn't only mean that they like to sleep a lot, which is what it also means, but they enjoy entering into states of dull awareness. People who drink too much, do drugs, or anything that dulls your awareness, are constantly being propelled into the tamasic quality. That is why these things are not good for us. That is why they are to be avoided, because if your intention is to be in sattva, but they can masquerade themselves as sattva. I feel so good when I drink and ahui, but your awareness is completely dull. That's why you're feeling so good, because your senses are like on this lowest state. And that's an important thing, very, very important thing to constantly remember. Where am I? Where is my contentment? Is it because I don't want to do anything, which is tamasic, or that I don't need or I'm not compelled to do anything, 
which is sattva. Which means that all my energy is so much in my control. I've gone past the restlessness of rajas. But, and I've gathered all that energy. And now that energy is held purposefully that it needn't go anywhere else. Whereas in tamas, it is, oh, I just have no energy and I just don't want to do anything. And I think about tamas today, the, the one category of people that come to my mind are, are trolls. You know, online you've got these trolls. They are the, they are the epitomes of tamas. You know, they, they will go around, they look for things that are sensual, that feed them on that level. But then they will also leave a lot of hate and anger there. And they will not want to change at all. That they are perfect in every way. That's the darkening quality. It's, 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 Swamiji says here very, very beautifully. He's like, the two ends of tamas are complete stupidity or actively evil. That's the entirety of tamas. You can be completely stupid, just completely ignorant, and so therefore you have no energy and no creativity, nothing that you could do. So you are just naturally tamas. You're sitting there and you know, chewing your little tobacco, and that's the state that you enjoy living in. Or you're actively evil, where you want to bring darkness to any particular situation. You want to hurt people. And so, again, you have to look at in our lives, where all we express this? Where all are we completely, I don't want to do anything at all, which all of us go through that. Or, I want to hurt people, which is not like I want to hurt them, but that, uh, that, you know, that particular tone that we use, that particular look that we'll give, knowing what the intention is behind it. And the constantly saying no to anything that's new, anything that's going to lift you up, anything that allows you to move your energy. So Thomas is an important one for us to recognize primarily because, as I just said, that's the state of disease. And not necessarily, again, I'm not talking about in us, because there can be a lot of wonderful people out there. You know, you're not going to say, you have the disease, therefore you exhibit Thomas. No, but Thomas is a consciousness. And any one of us, because we are constantly moving through the gunas, are susceptible to it at any time. None of us are living here all the time. Because we're constantly, when we wake up in the morning, we're all in tamas. But how you wake up in the morning determines whether you will be, you know, you can take that tamas and make it. One is to wake up in the morning, which is like, mm, snooze, 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 snooze. Or, boom, up, up, awake, ready, alert. So, that's how we can start really looking at our lives. Because it is a combination of the gunas and the beauty is that we can change the gunas. We can actually participate. It's not like, oh, I'm a, these are the gunas in me and you know, so there's, there's always going to be tamas in me. Well, no. Even saints have to exhibit some level. If a saint can't exist, can't hold a body here if he doesn't actually have all three gunas in him. But of course, sattva is the predominant guna where tamas is them kind of sitting down for a moment between like putting out their consciousness into the world. That's their tamas, where they have to go into the subconscious for a little while if they need to rest. That's their tamas. That's the lowest they can go. 
once Swamiji, um, a friend of ours had kind of learned, uh, what's that, past life regression. And she was very keen on, you know, Swami seeing it or experiencing it. And, you know, as Swami always was, he was always trying to help people open to see what they would like to, you know, show him or, and he would always be curious about these things if you ever brought it out to him. So there's this person and she was trying to, you know, get him into, uh, take, guide him through a past life regression thing, which is, the process is something about, you know, I'm going to count and you're going down, which is the idea is that let me take you into the subconscious mind so you can access, you know, the vast information that's available. And try as hard as she would, Swami just says, I'm sorry, I just can't go down. I just can't go into the subconscious. And he, I mean, he cooperated for uh, several minutes, you know, as she, she would, she yeah, tried at least two, three times. No, I'm not there yet. I can't sorry, see. I can't go there. And then finally, he's like, "I'm just sorry, I just can't go down." So that's the amazing level that we have to achieve. I'm just sorry, I just can't go down. That's what we want to be. But for most of us, going down is so easy. I mean, it's just like it doesn't take anything. If somebody just says, "Ajay, let's just not do anything," oh, thank you. We willingly go down. <laughs> yeah, we're just like, like yes, Thomas. Yes, we can do it. You know. It's just, Bad guy. That's the consciousness we have to start becoming aware of because Krishna is saying ki bhai, if you want to get out of it, it's not even like we can stop at sattva. So we need to start just getting more and more aware of how are these gunas playing in me and how which guna am I cooperating with and where am I and where can I go? Because the important thing about the guna is you can't get from tamas to sattva. So from tamas you get to rajas and only from rajas you can get to sattva. You know that it's a process. I think of it in terms of the uh, parts of yoga that for tamas, karma yoga is the most important thing. Start moving, do stuff. Which is not to say tamasic people, I'm saying when we are in tamas. You know, sometimes we're like, the moment, moment say, for oh, Thomas, this is important. And we start thinking about other people who are, oh, who Thomas? I don't you know, he asked me, us. Huh? When we go into Thomas, which we do often, Karma Yoga is the way to go about it. Karma Yoga will bring us into the Rajo Tamas movement, where it's restless, it's at least it's active, it's ego active, because you're saying, I am doing these things. Then, from Karma Yoga, we moved to Bhakti Yoga to lift Rajas up, to give Rajas a higher purpose. That's what love is, giving us a higher purpose to attain. That lifts us up further. And then from Bhakti Yoga, we then go to Jnana. That's where true understanding will come, which is where we get into Sattva through Dhyana, not through just reading. Because Jnana has to be experienced. Reading, knowledge, is the experience of others. It's not your experience. These words are not my words, these are Krishna's words. Krishna and Arjuna are experiencing this. We are just like pretending to know what they're talking about. So that's the ladder we have to ascend. That's why it becomes harder when you enter the spiritual path first through Jnana and then have to kind of go through the other processes. Because jnana, when not established 
through the right channel masquerades itself as sattva but often can be tamas which is kya farak padta hai everything is maya and you know i mean it's just like which means i don't have to do anything because i know everything because i'm just mr smarty pants so that's tamas don't think it just because you've read a few books and you can quote some wonderful sounding words it puts you into sattva it doesn't put you into sattva again important things just for us to be aware about i'm going to stop here because we want to end also today again not only is this stuff really heavy but we want to end kind of doing a special healing prayer towards the end so i want to give a little bit more time to that and i want to give narayania time to see if she's kind of picked up from the ether a practice for us to do for this week i was thinking about one of the greatest contributions that yogananda brought to this dwapara yoga really is a technique that basically harmonizes the three gunas within us and that is the energization exercises they work straight they go to the essence of how to shift you from your tamas to your rajas from your rajas to your sadvik state and from your sadvik state to a much more refined sadvik um, consciousness and and i was just thinking right now how i would like from today onwards to start approaching my energization exercises practices as an opportunity as a technique that will help me to align my three gunas within myself and basically bring me to my sadvik state as much as i can so i was contemplating the idea of perhaps this week to do a challenge with the energization exercises and i was thinking what about if we practice the energization exercises before our meditation or throughout the day because the truth is even we need to enter into our meditation with a sadvik consciousness so why not before our meditation we practice these exercises three times not just one three times first time the 39 exercises emphasize it or emphasizing over the masic aspect which is more the body and not wanting to energize not wanting to move and we always hope that we can escape the energization exercises <laughs> and we can sit and just meditate and be comfortable in our cushions and just don't move even a muscle so the first time we will do the energizations will be to work basically with that attitude of i need to move my physical body working with the physical aspect of us the second time we will practice we will focus on our rajasic active um, part of our body which is our energy and how i'm channeling that restlessness that energy from the body and trans i mean transforming it that energy into cosmic energy into light so from no movement to move the body to the second time to start feeling the energy of the body and the third time that we will practice it will be a much more subtle level where we work not only with the energy 
but we will feel that that cosmic energy is not even our own energy. We are using God's cosmic light, God's energy. So we will start detaching from me doing the energization exercises to God flowing through me and working at a much more refined, subtle level. So we will be working with the three levels, the physical body, the energetic body and our aura and the energy that we emulate from us to others and at a much more refined level with the consciousness of God is flowing through me and putting the, the ego, the consciousness of the ego aside. So what about if we do this three times a day? <laughs> First time in the morning, three times, you know, reinforcing <laughs> each aspect. Uh, any other time throughout the day, three times, and then before your evening meditation. So nine times again, a day. Nine <laughs> times. <laughs> <Woo>! <laughs> she could have started here, couldn't you? But she seems to you want know, us to be here. I, I just love this because otherwise we will never know really how these exercises, these techniques work within us in a way that we have never experienced before. And, and it's important for us to keep challenging ourselves and see how far we can get every time a little bit more and a little bit more. So I'm all for it. Are you, are you all <laughs> up for it? <laughs> okay, so I would say for this week, let's keep it at this level. All just, right, high level just, it is. Yeah. Think of the energization exercises as a tool, as a technique that helps to put our three gunas in perfect harmony. All right. Lovely.